Aunt Mary and Uncle Richards and was watching all dogs go to heaven and I had to go potty. And I was on the potty and baby Evan was on the floor and Rocco and Taco, who are dogs, came into the bathroom and they tried to eat baby Evan. I recounted this story to my wife and then asked one follow-up question. Is it true? And yes, every bit of that story was true down to the movie he was watching. My son is three. Except the dogs did not want to eat baby Evan. They only wanted to lick him. And my wife was in there the entire time. Fear not, baby Evan was never in jeopardy. But every day, it seems like I come home from work and I ask my little boy what he did that day. And invariably, Patrick tells me some seemingly outrageous story that leads me to look at my wife and say, is that true? <laughs> Hashtag raising boys. Swiss theologian Karl Barth said, this question, is it true, is what brings people to church. This unspoken question clings to our hearts and minds as we come before God in worship. That question hangs in the air, especially this morning. Is it true? Is it true that God lives and gives us life? Is it true that God somehow raised Jesus from the dead? Is it true that something so extraordinary happened that morning so long ago that we can only build our lives on its foundation? Is it true? Now, while we ask this question, is it true? We all come asking it in different ways. Some of you have already built your life on the truth of the resurrection. You come here today seeking confirmation to that answer, seeking the grace of God in our midst, seeking the life of Jesus in our midst. You come here today to hear that story once again, and in the story, to hear the risen Christ speak to your heart. You come here today, and to you the question, is it true? You say, yes, alleluia, amen. Some of you come here today and you're not sure if it's true. There's a part of you that wants to believe it. There's a part of you that really wants to think that Jesus is risen and that we can have life forever too. But there's this other side of you that just doesn't know. And so you come here this morning deeply searching for that answer. Is it true? Should I build my life on this? Can this truth, can this story really be believed? Is it trustworthy? Some of you come here today because your family is here. You're being a good son or daughter. You're being a good friend. You're being a good husband or wife. And you're hoping this sermon will be brief so we can get to the Easter egg hunt and get to brunch. And you know what? If that's you, thank you so much for being here. You could have easily just not come. Thank you for being here. And I know that somewhere, deep down, even if it's just a mild curiosity, there's some part of you wondering, is this true? Is this whole Easter story true? All of us here today ask the same question, but we ask it in different ways. That question, asked different ways, 
meaning different things, is hanging over our worship service today. But that question also hangs over our scripture text this morning. And just like that question means different things for us, that question means vastly different things for different characters and at different points of our scripture. This morning we are going to read the Easter story as told by John in his gospel. We are in John 20. It's displayed on that beautiful screen to the side of me. It's uh, printed in your yellow lifeline. And if you would like a Bible but don't have a Bible, we have them available on our welcome table. Please feel free. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. But they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That is the Easter Gospel. The first thing we hear in this story is that when it was early, Mary goes to the tomb. Jesus died on a Friday, so when it was still dark on Sunday morning is the first opportunity Mary would have had to go to Jesus' tomb, to go to his graveside. Mary couldn't have gone on Saturday, as the Sabbath law would have prevented her from walking such a distance. So as soon as she can go to the tomb, she goes. Mary is going with the question, is it true, lingering in her mind. She goes to the tomb and the question, is it true, hangs over her trip. But for Mary, the it 
isn't resurrection. She isn't going to see Jesus alive, risen on the third day. She's going. She's expecting to find his dead body. Is it true for Mary means, is Jesus dead? Is Jesus really dead? Or was his crucifixion just a terrible dream? She goes to the tomb hoping to be wrong. She goes to the tomb hoping to find proof that Jesus never really died. Instead, she finds grave clothes. She finds the stark evidence she was hoping didn't exist. She finds that Jesus did die. His body was laid in the tomb as revealed by the same grave clothes she had seen adorn Jesus' body thrown into the tomb. And, but the clothes are thrown about the tomb. What she doesn't find, what she doesn't see, is the thing she came to see. What she doesn't find, what she doesn't see, is the thing she came hoping against hope she wouldn't see. What she doesn't find, what she doesn't see, what she came prepared to embalm was the body of Jesus. There are grave clothes, but there's no body. Is it true? Is Jesus really dead? She has an answer to that question, and the answer is yes. But she doesn't have closure. Instead, she has a new problem. There is no body. Where is the body? So she runs back to the disciples to tell them what she has seen. The disciples hear the news, and immediately two of them run to the tomb. They run all the while thinking, is it true? It's the same question, but a different meaning. Is it true? Is the body really gone? Have they really taken away the body of the Lord and now no one knows where it is? They run to the tomb and see what Mary has seen. There is nobody. Jesus tells us that one of the disciples, upon seeing the tomb empty, upon seeing the grave clothes left behind, believed but didn't understand. Believed what? I'm not sure. Believed the women were telling the truth? Believe that somebody had stolen the body? Or believe something more? The disciples returned home and we are unsure of what conclusion they have drawn. Then Mary is standing by the tomb weeping. And she... I don't know what she sees. She sees angels. She sees beings. She sees people in white... And they try to comfort her. What's wrong, her comforters ask. She repeats the same news she has told the disciples. They have taken my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. She turns around and asks another would-be comforter. This time, this comforter speaks her name, Mary. And immediately she knows she knows because she is known. She knows where her Lord is. Her Lord is right in front of her. Throughout this story, people have thought many different things about the body of Jesus. When Mary set out, she thought the body of Jesus was dead in a tomb. Each person who came to the tomb thought the body of Jesus had been stolen. But now we see what had become of the body. 
God had raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But these people aren't the only ones to think different things about the body of Jesus. Since the very first Easter, people have continued to, to have different thoughts, different beliefs on what happened to the body of Jesus. Many continue to think that Jesus died and stayed dead. And to be fair, that is what has happened to literally every other person in history. Humans die, and when we do, we stay dead. And there are many who, when confronted with the, the empty tomb, simply choose to believe that Jesus' body must have been stolen, must have been taken, so that this resurrection story could be created. But Christians, Christians for centuries have claimed that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised Jesus Christ, and that on that first Easter day, God showed in Jesus Christ that he has power over death. Mary returned to the disciples and said she had seen the Lord. The disciples went out into all the world and dedicated their lives to the simple gospel that Jesus, who had been crucified, was resurrected by God. They dedicated their lives to spreading that gospel, and that gospel cost them their lives. And the movement and the message to which they gave their lives spread and spread and spread and spread. People continued to dedicate their lives to it. People continued to give their lives for it. In the face of persecution, in the face of death, faithful Christians persisted in saying that Jesus Christ who was crucified is risen. And we are here, nearly two millennia later, to hear the same story, to hear the same message. So this morning we ask, is it true? And for us, that question means, is it true that he is risen? That's a question you have to answer for yourself. But I want to give you two final points to aid in your discernment. The first has to do with the conversation Jesus has with Mary about his ascension. Jesus won't let Mary touch him, hug him, cling to him, because he says he has yet to ascend to his father. And then he tells Mary to go and tell the disciples that he is ascending. Why is this detail so important? Why did John include this in his story? What the ascension means and what the ascension means for us is simply that the resurrection life of Jesus continues. Jesus didn't rise from the dead simply in order to die later. Rather, ascension means that the resurrection power of God, the new life Jesus lives on in God, is with God. This is not merely a one-time event that was meant simply to show up the Roman Empire. This was an earth-shattering, world-changing event that changes the scope of our lives, of history, and of the cosmos. The ruling power in our lives is no longer death because Jesus lives. The ruling power in the universe is not decay because Jesus lives. The ruling power in our souls is not sin because Jesus lives. And the life of Jesus, the resurrection power of God is available to us all. It's available for us as well. What God does in Jesus Christ in raising him from the dead is not meant to stay with Jesus, but it returns to God so that it can emanate out from God into all the world. 
That life, that power, that victory is not contained on one morning centuries ago. That life, that power, that victory is meant for all time. That life, that power, that victory is our life, is our power, is our victory. And because of that, and here is point two, I can say with Mary that I have seen the Lord. Her testimony is my testimony. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the resurrection power of God. I have seen the resurrection life of Jesus. I have seen it in my life. I have seen the Lord. I see the Lord when I see people love and forgive each other. I see the Lord when I see people care for one another, especially when it's people they don't know. I see the Lord when I see a church cook meals for the homeless or package meals to send all over the world. I see the Lord when I see someone turn from a life of poor choices, turn from a life of addiction, turn from a life of hurt. I see the Lord when I see families reconciled. I see the Lord when I see single parents work as many jobs as it takes, sacrifice all their free time, and do everything humanly possible and more, all to raise their children and give them opportunity. I see the Lord when children take care of their aging parents, when grandparents take care of their grandchildren, when families commit to each other. I see the Lord when people stand with the marginalized and stand up to the powerful. I see the Lord when I see God's resurrection power and God's grace at work all over this world. Today, even now, people are still asking, is it true? Is it true that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead? If you would say with me that I have seen the Lord, go out into the world and let people see the Lord in you. Let people see the Lord through you. Be a part of Christ's resurrection life in this world. Live in God's resurrection power in this world. Live a faithful life so that when people look at you, they will know it's true. Live a faithful life so that when people look at you, they will be able to say, I have seen the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God,